Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. Support for Talking Heart on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at QCBT.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Ray Taranas Jr., the director of Quad Cities Ballet Folklorico, and with Yanel Alanis Macias, a student performer about the upcoming Mexican Fiesta 12 dance recital, which will be held on Saturday, August 13th at the Bartlett Performing Arts Center in Moline. Ray and Yanel, welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. Now, the Quad Cities Ballet Folklorico is a nonprofit organization that teaches our community about Mexican culture through the art of dance. So from a historical perspective, what do you think accounts for the very diverse and rich dance tradition in Mexico? Yeah, I think, I mean, just like the United States, we're kind of a melting pot of different uh, cultures and 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 influences. And you see that also in Mexico. Um, you know, when, when the German came uh, to Mexico, their uh, uh, influences um, leaked in, uh, whether that be costumes or music. You can hear it in um, some of the northern uh, states. Their music is kind of a polka uh, influence there, and that's coming from the Europeans. Um, same thing with costumes. Um, you can see, um, you know, whether that be the fabric or the style, uh, you can definitely see that influence coming from the Europeans. Mm-hmm. And that's more in the northern part of Mexico, which has, as you said, European influences. And I'm always surprised, um, it's somewhat of a jolt to to remember, of course, that that Germans were there, but the southern areas of Mexico, there were different influences. Right. Uh, when you um, go a little bit more towards the coast um, of Mexico, you'll see African influence. Um, same thing with their costumes and definitely their music. Um, and our footwork seems to be faster uh, with that with those with that t- style of music uh, because the 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 rhythm is faster. Um, so uh, yeah, we see influences from you know Africa. From Europe, um, Germany, um, you know, Britain, uh, all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's also this interplay between the indigenous cultures that goes that will go all the way back to Aztec time. Um, in addition to the the uh, co- the effect of colonization. Right. Yeah. Um, we we know dances from the Aztecs. Um, uh, we did those a couple of years ago called Concheros. As of last year, we did some um, some songs, some dances from Oaxaca. Uh, same kind of uh, uh, feeling. Uh, but this year, we don't have any uh, lined up for this year. We have uh, um, dances from uh, northern and, and central and um, on the coast as well. Mm-hmm. How many different styles of dance do you teach regularly? Oh, man. Um, I would say between five and ten, uh, there's different styles. For example, there is uh, Veracruz Huasteco, uh, which is, you know, um, a little bit more focused on um, uh, zapateado, which is stomping. Um, and then there's uh, Veracruz Jarocho, which is a little bit more fluid. Um, so even in one specific state, there's a different style there. Oh, it's just so fascinating. Do, do they vary in terms of intricacy level? Kind of. Um, I mean, I... I I believe there is a difference there, but I mean, 
if you can do one, you can do the other. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I would say Veracruz Jarocho is a little bit more advanced. The, the, the footwork is a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. And just like the dancing styles vary, their, their costumes, it sounds like, vary from region to region as well. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, they do. There's some, and you know, we're on the topic of Veracruz, you know, those, those costumes between uh, Huasteca and, and Jarocho, they're both white in fabric or in, in color. The fabric is a little bit different, but usually the same, whether it be a satin um, uh, fabric. The uh, Huasteca costumes are a little shorter. Um, there's a shorter dress for the for the ladies. Um, the guys are fairly the same. So now, and you, these are all ages. The students that you have at your uh, the Quad Cities Ballet Folkloric range in age from quite young up until the end of high school. Yeah, for the longest time, the youngest was age seven. Um, I decided to go a little younger, and we went all the way down to four, uh, just because at that age, um, for example, myself, I was curious at age three and four and wanted to do it, but that t- at that time, they weren't taking three- and four-year-olds, so I didn't join until I was seven, and at, th- at that time, I didn't want to join at all because mm-hmm. I was doing soccer and basketball. So I think at, at four and, uh, and five, the the kids are a little bit more curious. They, they want to, you know, mimic and copy what you're doing. Um, so I find it that's a little bit more successful with keeping um, uh, the kids there. Approximately how many children do you think, I shouldn't say just children, young adults too, are involved in this in the Quad Cities right now? Yep. Our group, I mean, uh, four to 18 is our, our age, age range. And um, I would say we're anywhere between 60 and 70 kids. We're kind of floating around there. A couple of years, well, before COVID, we had about 100 um, but COVID kind of hit us hard. Um, so we're around 60, 70 kids. So that's a lot of kids, even 60 to 70 with such varying ages. So they're all different sizes. How do you obtain the costumes? Good question. Uh, we utilize online services. Uh, there's a great site called mariachiconnection.com that we uh, go through. Um, but we also have a seamstress locally um, as well as in Mexico. Um, so um, if the costumes are for the small kids. Um, we usually have our local seamstress come to the studio and measure and and, and she makes them here. Um, for the middle group and older group, um, we either utilize that online service or we uh, take our orders to Mexico and, oh. and we have a seamstress there and then she'll make the costumes for us. Yeah, it's incredible. And your studio is right here in, in Moline. Yep, downtown Moline. Um, and uh, we're open uh, uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays. Um, our times are on our website. Yeah. Why do you think it's important and, and even necessary, um, I would say, to maintain our traditional art forms? It's important because, you know, if we don't uh, keep at it, we lose it. Um, you know, it's for me, it's no different than uh, food, language, music, um, you know, all those aspects we want to pass down to you know, generation to generation so we don't lose it. Um, Ballet Folklorico is, is something that means a lot to me, um, not only because of the traditions that I learned about my culture, but just life lessons. Um, I apply it to pretty much everything today, you know, whether that be work or, you know, um, marriage and raising kids, everything mm-hmm. I can really come back to uh, Ballet Folklorico lessons. Yeah. And you've been their director for over a decade now. Oh, man, you reminded me. <laughs> <laughs> but but you've been involved much longer than that. You were a performer way back when. Yep. So w- tell us about the early stages of your involvement. I started at seven um, back in 1992. <laughs> Again, I didn't want to join at that time. So my mom um, basically forced me into it. Um, she bought me toys as, as being a persuasive mother. Um, and then, you know, I, 
I saw that it was challenging and, and I wanted to be, be better than everyone else. So I you know, would practice in my bedroom, you know, sweat up a storm. Um, and I grew to love it. And uh, when I graduated um, in 03, um, I was supposed to be done. And um, they asked me to come back. And so I did. And I was an assistant instructor for two years. And then I became the director in 2008. Yeah. And you said you were supposed to be done because typically at 18, uh, you transition away from the from ballet folklorico as an organization. Yep, that's the tradition with yeah. us. Um, once you graduate um, high school, um, we try to have a big event around that time so that way it could be your retiring performance and then you would join the alumni. Um, and so that's what that's our goal for this uh, dance recital is mm-hmm. to have something big for our graduating seniors. Yeah. Well, and you know, you are a senior this year. You've just graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And how long have you been um, involved with the with the ballet folklorical company? Since I was five, so about thirteen years wow. now. <laughs> and what do you think is one of the biggest lessons that you've taken away from all those years being involved? Um, I remember one time, Ray, when I. I take it very seriously, even at a young age, I took it very seriously. One of the things that Ray said was, you can't reach perfection because there's no perfection. And if you do reach perfection, it's like, where do you go from there? And that kind of hit me at a young age. And it's like, there is no such thing as perfect. And to just keep growing, and that's all you can do, is mm-hmm. just grow with every single thing that you do. Mm-hmm. And there's no limit to that. Well, I think you're mirroring. It sounds like what Ray was alluding to when Ray, when you said that, there is so many life lessons you've learned from this, like even applying it to your marriage and other relationships and other jobs um, that that it does. It takes a lot of dedication and, and precision, but you're right. It's never perfect, and it's probably different every time you're up on stage. Yeah, I still get nervous every single time. Mm-hmm. You know, you were one of the few seniors who were wrapping up and concluding a long time spent with the company. How many additional seniors are there? There's two other additional seniors. Are they having a hard time saying goodbye as well? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's, it's hard to say goodbye because I feel like you really take it for granted. And then once it actually starts to come, you're like, whoa, like, this is actually happening. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be there anymore. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of also seems to me like it it reemphasizes the fact that, that you are graduating, that you're moving on too, though. You know, it's, it, it's all kind of time together to kind of usher you into into adulthood, but how incredible that you've had this for the majority of your life. Yeah, it's been yeah. something that I lean on a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a, a chapter closing because then we, we go from, you know, seeing each other twice, maybe three times a week um, for many, many years and all of a sudden, you know, no more. Um, so I think in my, with Yanel and, and as well as my two other seniors, um, Isabella Malekesh and, and Melena Meisenberg, um, it's going to be a little bit of a change, um, but it's a plus because, you know, they're moving on to, you know, more uh, different things, you know, uh, college or um, military or, you know, working. And they'll have that time, you know, that they were dedicating to QCBF for other things that they want to do. Mm-hmm. You're a nonprofit organization, and it's so hard to keep a nonprofit going for all of these years. It takes a lot of time and a lot of resources do you have an active board or, or how are you managing to pull all of this together? Yeah, it's definitely just not 
me um, running this group, we have a board um, who dedicates a lot of their time behind the scenes, making sure we're managed well and making sure things are in order. Um, our president is Karina, Karina Camarillo, who is the daughter of Arnulfo, mm-hmm. the, the founder. Um, and then we have former students um, who serve on the board, uh, one being my older sister, Elena Anderson, who's our treasurer. Um, and then we have parents that are also serving on the board and they're helping out tremendously, making sure, you know, it could be something as little as um, the permission slips being done or making the sh- making sure the studio's cleaned, um, bringing in do- donations, making sure there's voluntary, op- voluntary options for the parents. Um, all of that is something that is done behind the scenes, and and we definitely appreciate that. Mm -hmm. It sounds like your board members, besides being very involved right now, currently with those those roles, they themselves, as younger people, were were members of of the Quad Cities Ballet Folklore Cult. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and then where do you obtain your sponsorship? Uh, good question. Right now, we have um, letters out to several businesses in the in the area um, asking for sponsorship. Um, we we nailed our first one just a couple of days ago, which is uh, Jenny's Boxcar, a restaurant in, in East Moline, Illinois. Pretty good, so from what I've heard. I haven't been there yet, but I'm, I'm dying to try. Their I'm food sure and, you're going to be going soon. The number one thing <laughs> I saw was margaritas, so we'll see how those taste. Um, but yeah, we're we're you know. Um, Seeking sponsorships for the recital as well as throughout the year, you know, um, we'll have another fundraiser event probably in the fall. Um, so if you are interested in sponsoring us, um, just head out to our website, theqcbf.com. Mm-hmm. And you have many other performances throughout this year while throughout the rest of the year while this performance that we're talking about now is on Saturday August 13th, you have quite a few additional performances that people can catch this fall. Yeah, our, our September is packed. Um, so like like I said earlier, my, my focus is pretty narrow right now, focusing on the uh, recital. But once that's done, I might take a few days off and then uh, uh, realign my focus on September because I believe we're busy every week weekend that month. This coming production on August 13th, there are some new dances, I think around 10 or so new dances. So have you, has that been difficult for you? Um, Not too difficult. I've been doing it for a long time and I pick it up pretty easily, but when I don't, I, I practice. Mm -hmm. What, is there a particular style of dance that you've gravitated towards? Um, I really like Jalisco and Veracruz. They're kind of not the same though like one's a little faster pace and the other one's a little mellower but mm-hmm. they're both really pretty do they differ in other ways too uh, it, just in terms of the costuming or the dance the the footwork or any other aspects um yeah uh the jalisco footwork is more um faster paced and the colors too i feel like jalisco is a very like vibrant multicolored um state and then jalisco or not jalisco Veracruz is um, very white, very white state, but yeah. White meaning the costumes are all mm-hmm. white in color. I saw some pictures yeah. on the website and they're, even though they're not the colorful costumes you would normally expect to see, it's it's very striking mm-hmm. when you see everyone together as, as a group. So you've been involved in ballet folklorical basically your whole life since you were five. Do you feel that it has given you a deeper understanding of your family's heritage? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, if there wasn't, um, if there wasn't Balafloricorico, I probably wouldn't have even known that that type of dancing was a thing. Mm-hmm. What will you be doing next year? You, you just graduated from from UT High School. 
Uh, I'm going to be playing soccer at Black Hawk College. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Do you think you'll continue to dance in some form? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I was going to try to be a, um, a instructor. Instructor? Assist, assistant okay. instructor. An assistant instructor then, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I'm wondering, uh, you know, with soccer, there's so much footwork involved. Do you think that the footwork that, that you've had to learn in uh, in the with the ballet folklorico, do you think that's helped at all with your sports? Um, yeah, actually, it, I think it has mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. And there's so much competition for time now, it seems like, with, with, with students. So, you know, I'm really impressed that you have that many students, 60 to 70 in your company, because there are a lot of things that, that compete for our time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the unique aspects of dance, you know, as an art form is its capacity to express joy. And it's it's not just for the for the viewer, not just the person watching it, but for the performers themselves, the artists themselves. There's something very basic and elemental about dance that because it's been practiced by every culture over over time, it, at least as far as the historians have been able to tell us. So do you think either one of you as a species were kind of hardwired to dance? Because it, it seems to me that that's the, that that's the case. That's an interesting uh, question and concept. Yeah, I believe there is something there. Um, whether that's just be, you know, celebration, uh, celebration of, you know, uh, a festivity or, you know, birthday or uh, an event. Um, but I know for myself, when I'm having a bad day, and I go to practice, I leave in a better mood. Mm. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that's because, you know, when I'm dancing or, or, or teaching, my, my scope is more narrow and I'm not worried about anything else besides what's in front of me. So I always leave on a, in a better mood. Um, and maybe that's why I've been doing this for so long is <laughs> that's a benefit there. It's just like therapy for me. Um, but yeah, I think there's something too that, that maybe our, our, you know, our species is hardwired to move, you know, um, move our bodies in a, in a way that either, you know, we're celebrating or we're telling a story or keeping a tradition alive or, you know, doing a ritual. Um, you know, back in the day, that's really all we had was our bodies, you know, and we had to express that some sort of, um, emotion. And that's, I think that's where dancing came from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's something to that because ballet folklore has been um, been going strong for a long time, for almost 40 years, I think. Can you talk briefly about when it was started here in the Quad Cities? It was back in 1984. Yep, 1984. It was founded by Arnulfo Camarillo, who was my instructor. Um, he brought it over from um, um, Guadalajara, Mexico. That's where he uh, took lessons. And the story is that on um, uh, days, weeks coming up um, before Mother's Day, the community kids wanted to get together and do something special for their mothers. Um, so um, the idea was, you know, do a, a folklorical uh, dance. And Arnufo was there in the neighborhood, and he offered to teach those kids uh, for their mothers. And after that event, they wanted to come back and start, you know, learning more dances. And that's how it kind of started. So mothers have a special heart <laughs> with our organization because without them, you know, this wouldn't have uh, started. Mm-hmm. Do you still do something on Mother's Day to commemorate that? Well, Mother's Day is usually around Cinco de Mayo. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh, that's true. the event kind of co- yeah, yeah. coincides um, with, with Mother's Day. And um, we usually try to take a picture with all the moms, uh, mm-hmm. with all the kids together. So. Well, Ray Tarana's Jr. and Yanel Alani's Macias, thank you so much for talking today and best of luck with your upcoming performance. Thank you. Thank you.
Don't miss the chance to explore Mexican culture through music and dance at the Quad Cities Ballet Folklorico's Mexican Fiesta 12, recital this Saturday, August 13th at 7 p.m. The Bartlett Performing Arts Center is located inside Moline High School. Tickets can be obtained at the door or through a participating student. And more information can be obtained online at theqcbf.com or on Facebook. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. WVIK.